Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. There are few things in Western culture that are more polarizing than that of abortion. On one side of the debate are those who believe that autonomy and self-determination trump the potential life in a mother's womb. On the other are those who believe that children, both born and not, are deserving not only of protection, but are of the same infinite value. How are we to respond to those who say that a woman's right to choose is more valuable than that of the baby growing inside of her? What is the biblical position on abortion? But before we get started, Vince, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is coming up at the Zacharias Institute? Thanks, Michael. There's so much going on, but let me just highlight one thing, which is we are just about to launch this Friday a new series called Face to Face, and it's going to be with Ravi uh, Zacharias and Tim Tebow, and the vision for these events are to bring together an RZM apologist with a leader from a different sphere of influence, and we think just bringing people into good, uh, critical important conversation from different spheres of influence is going to be really dynamic. Uh, So excited for this event. It's going to be 7.30 p.m. this Friday. We're sold out in person, but it's going to be live streamed. Uh, You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on Ravi's Facebook page. And so wherever you are around the world, uh, please join us this Friday, 7.30 p.m. Okay, let's get to this week's question. How would you respond to the claim that the lives of the unborn are of less importance than the choice of the mother? Well, this week is a this is a, a big question that we're going to be talking about. And I just want to start actually by acknowledging that I, I know for a lot of people listening, this is a um, very fueled, very emotional question. It's really not just an academic one at all. And people feel very strongly on both sides of this question, actually. And for many, it's, you know, it's really seen as an issue of justice, um, you know, justice on the one hand for the unborn. And then um, for many others, it seems a, an issue to do with justice for women. And I, I'm someone who actually is sensitive to both of those things and care passionately about both of those things. So I do, um, understand that and and feel that that struggle that people will be having as they listen. I also want to say that I know that um, when it comes to this topic, there will be also people for whom this is actually very painful to talk about. There'll be people who um, this has been a real area of tragedy or suffering in your life. Um, It it is deeply personal to you. Um, I've met um, a good number of women, both those who are Christian and those who aren't, who sometimes not long afterwards, but often um, decades later, actually having had an abortion are struggling deeply um, with with feelings of, of shame about it and of guilt. And so to start with, I actually just want to say today that this episode is in no way about condemning anybody. And actually that we really just want to emphasize that there is grace for you, whatever your experience has been in this area, that uh, there is no condemnation when you come to Jesus. And and that actually he says, you know, um, anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. And we don't want to shame anybody um, here today that there is, um, you know, hope for for everyone when it comes to this conversation. So please do hear that before we uh, go any further into it. Uh, The other thing 
um, just to share about, I guess this, um, in terms of my own thinking about this question, yeah, I guess it's an area where I've always had a strong personal conviction. Um, but of course, it it hits you so much more deeply, I think, when you when you have a child or when you're pregnant. And I think it was it was probably that moment for me when when we went to the um, eight week scan uh, for the first time and um, and then saw this little little guy on the screen who had just this. I mean, there wasn't much to him except this huge heart that looked like way bigger than the rest of the body. And but it was beating so fast. And then um, suddenly we heard this sound of it. You know, kind of sounds like wings, almost like flapping. And you're like, oh wow, that's a heartbeat. And it was so loud. And it just hit Hit me in this profound way that wow this is this is a life and and I think along with that came this ex- strange experience so I think up until then I'd had some anxiety about almost not wanting to get too excited because what if we had a miscarriage you know knowing the statistics were high at that stage of pregnancy and and but suddenly it hit me in that moment actually that whatever happened to this child you know whether we were able to carry him to full term or not that um that actually this was an eternal being and therefore I, I, whatever happened, I was now a mother and that wouldn't change with the outcome of the pregnancy. And so it kind of, it was, it was both um, seeing a life in him, but also a profound shift in me and what that meant for my life onwards. So I guess ever since then, um, I've sort of felt this in a, in a, in, in, in an even deeper way than I have before the issues around this question and the struggles over it. Yeah. That's a good point from the perspective of our experience. I mean, that moment when you, when you hear, the heartbeat. There's something about the sound of it for me, yeah. you know, and you do just immediately feel that sense of responsibility of of being a parent. And then, you know, although at at eight weeks you're you know primarily looking at the heart there and how it's functioning, I couldn't believe then by 20 weeks how much you see the level of detail there is. Uh, and for for our baby Raphael, uh, he had hair at 20 weeks. We were yeah. like, what is that floating in there? They're like, that's his hair. And we're like, oh, okay. He got some of the Italian genes, all right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, so it is amazing to, to see at that point. I mean, it's a blessing, I think, how much we now can see that for a lot of history we weren't able to see that really connects your heart, I think rightly so, with what's taking place in such a miraculous way. Yeah, my son was sucking his thumb his 12-week wow. ultrasound. So, wow. was, uh, so yeah, wow. we called him the dancing peanut because he was moving around. <laughs> he looked great. like a peanut and was dancing around. That's great. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think, you know, this is a topic we need to be talking about. It's so it's such a difficult topic, but we need to be talking about it because we're so conflicted about it, not only as a society, but even individuals, even people within themselves. And, and I started thinking about this topic much more seriously when a good friend of mine was going through medical school. Uh, he's a Christian, and he was experiencing the the lectures that he was receiving on this topic and others at medical school, and he noticed some strange things taking place. So he had a class on the topic of saving babies in the womb with some extraordinary surgeries that can occur prior to 20 weeks. And the lecturer always referred to uh, the unborn as a baby in that lecture uh, and gave some spectacular video footage of what was taking place. He said you could see the baby's head and face. It was actually 10 feet in HD on the screen in their medical school. And the whole class was ooing and eyeing and just commenting on how cute the baby was. And so thankful for the surgeries that could take place. But here's the remarkable thing. One week earlier than that, the same class of students had attended a different lecture with a different lecturer on pregnancy termination. And he told me that in that class, the lecturer never referred to the unborn as a baby, uh, but 
always as the product of conception. And the lecturer didn't use any surgical illustrations for what was taking place. Uh, they were just abstract images, and the baby was actually just a gray blob or shape. None of these HD images of what the baby actually looks like at this point. And it's just incredible that those lectures, my friend was just trying to understand this, trying to process this, reflecting on this, that those two lectures with the same class of his peers and students were only one week apart. And in the one week, they were ooing and eyeing as they just naturally reacted to the value of the baby that they saw before them on this 10-foot screen. And one week prior, almost all of them thought they were not only willing, but had an obligation in instances to sign the death warrant for a baby at the same point. So we're so conflicted about this as a society, but I think even within the medical profession and even for many individuals who are just trying to figure this out as they think about what does it mean to be a person who could potentially be a parent and potentially care for a child and, and how do I deal with this in the context of my rights and the child's rights and my body and the child's body, we're really confused. Mm. And it's interesting. I mean, terminology is just an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, if you if you open a science textbook, you know, it's, it's quite clear to us where the origins of life begin. You know, it talks about it at um, conception as, as the point at which that's when that's when it all kicks off. That's when it starts. Um, you can go anywhere and, and in, in terms of uh, reading and the science of it. And there's no disagreement on on that point. Um, now, there is disagreement on, you know, what do you term it? Is it, you know, we're talking about a fetus or a child. Um, you know, where does life begin in the sense of considering it a human person. But what is interesting to me is when it, when it comes to the question of parenthood, that's not really a, a question that we um, we necessarily ask. I mean, we don't think about human life starting in the sense that it, it originates at birth and therefore the, the person responsible for the child is solely the mother. Um, actually, when we talk about parenthood, we're talking about a mother and a father. And the reason the father is included is because we consider conception to be the point at which life you know, begins. And therefore, there's a, a kind of joint, joint sharing there. Uh, you, know, you both are considered to have responsibility because that's where, when it comes to parenthood, we think life begins. So I find that kind of an interesting point. That's a point actually made by uh, Dr. Callum Miller, who's a member of our team who has a whole blog on this topic that's really excellent. You can find it online. He's a um, medical doctor as well. It's very interesting. So I do encourage you to dig deeper into his resources. So you're saying all that hard work that I put into the labor process, (laughs) that that doesn't count. That doesn't count. No, okay. No, that didn't count. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. If we're just talking about labor, then it's 100% my child. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not how we think, is it? It's a very insightful point, and I clearly concede it. Well, here's, here's one way to think about the value and the rights of the unborn that I've been thinking about. We take it generally, most of us, almost all of us as a society, we take it to be self-evident that in general, human life has value and is endowed with inalienable rights, such as the right to life. That's right at the bedrock of our commitments as a society. So one question to ask is, is there anything about the unborn that would make them different in this regard. The default is to have that value of life and therefore the right to life. Is there anything about the unborn that would disqualify them from that? That's one way to think about this. And and I started to think, well, what would those things be? What might someone think is the quality or feature or lack 
in the unborn that would disqualify them from the right to life that we generally take all other human beings to have. Now, someone might think, well, a fetus is just generally very different from a person outside the womb. But then you have to question that. You know, a 23-week-old can exist in the womb, but also can exist outside the womb and be very, very similar. The difference then is really just a difference of location. Is that baby in the ICU or is that baby in the womb? So maybe that's then the morally relevant distinction. Maybe it's just location. Some might think the unborn are less valuable specifically if they're located in the womb. They're just in a different environment. But when I think about that, I think that's quite a dangerous thought to think that people are less valuable because they're not located where we are. They're located somewhere else. They live in a different environment. I mean, a lot of xenophobia and negative forms of imperialism are based in just that type of thinking. Now, another option would be to say maybe the unborn are less valuable because they look different than us. You know, you go back to that eight-week scan and say, Dancing okay, peanut. The Dancing, Dancing Peanut, peanut. so <laughs> cute, but, but looks looks really different yes. uh, from us. But, but wow, okay, that's really concerning. If we're going to say that human beings are less valuable and have different rights if they look different than us. I mean, that's the intuitions and the reasoning that underlies racism. Is, could it be because the unborn are not very smart yet? The cognitive processes have not developed? Well, that boy, we're really going to get our tro- ourselves in trouble as a society if we're going to start ranking people's values based on intelligence. What about physical capability? The unborn, they're not physically capable in the same way that many adult human persons are, but not all. You know, what about those who are dealing with physical disabilities? I mean, the implications of saying we're going to value people based on physical capability, again, would be devastating. And one way in which even the unborn from nine weeks, many estimate that they can feel pain. That's one way in which we're physically quite similar, though it's interesting that in the procedures of abortion, uh, generally the baby is not given any type of anesthetic, even though in the same medical school classes, the students will be taught that the baby can feel pain from that young age. So is it simply that the baby, last thought, is it simply that the baby's just unborn? I mean, is that the distinction? Just if you're born, you have value, you have the right to life. If you're, If you have not been born, then you don't. And I started to think about that. And from my Christian perspective, I started to think about that theologically. And I thought, certainly as a Christian, I can't affirm that um, because uh, God wasn't born. And there was a point before which Jesus was born. uh, And he was as valuable as a person can be prior to that time. And so that doesn't seem like the, the distinction you can make either. Whether you're born or unborn, you can have value in the full sense. So Uh, That would be a challenge that I would put to people who are trying to think this through. We all agree that human life has value, and one of the rights that humans have is the right to life. Is there something that's morally different about the unborn? I've tried to run through a few possibilities, and I don't think any of them hold up. And in fact, a lot of the ones that you might think of can be quite dangerous to consider. Uh, Vince, you actually bring up a really good point. I mean, from a Christian perspective, when Christ was in Mary's womb, if you hold to a position that Jesus was that that humans are not fully or people aren't fully human when they're in the womb, you're making a case that Jesus wasn't fully human before he was born, but after the conception. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Michael. And and but I think even the question of um, you know, 
un- unborn, when you think about what, what does it mean when we say, is the difference literally just born or unborn? What, what does that actually mean practically? Well, one thing it means is simply, is, does it just mean you're not seen in the same way? And I was thinking, how different would this question be if, if the womb was transparent? If you could actually watch a baby developing, I think people's intuitions would be very different because like you said, it's people won't watch. They don't want to see the pictures or the videos. They don't want to engage with it because seeing it actually kind of forces you to, to think differently and acknowledge something something there and I think that's very telling. I think that's definitely right and you know my medical student friend who's now a doctor said that in all the other classes like not only do they show the surgical images but they really don't spare any of the gore you know in any of the details uh, and then you had this gray blob when you're talking about pregnancy termination I think it would be really different if we could see what's taking place. And then of course the other distinction about whether you're born or unborn is um, yes partly to do with location but it's really a question of dependence isn't it? Before you're born you're dependent on the body of the mother, which is, of course, the heart of the question that that we're kind of uh, discussing today. But it's it's interesting to me to think that because you're dependent, therefore your life isn't a value in some way. I mean, that has some frightening implications for how we treat the elderly, for how we treat people who, who have disabilities. Actually, what's the difference then between an unborn child and a newborn? And I mean, Raphael could not be more dependent on me at this stage. And actually, some of the, um, you know, the ethicists who are really thinking around this question, who are pro-abortion, like Peter Singer, for example, would say that very thing, that actually he makes the case you know, there's there's really no difference between the unborn and the born in that sense. So why not kill newborns if they have some uh, some form of disability and um, that we decide would therefore uh, on this measure make their life not meaningful or not valuable? Then what, then there isn't really a moral difference between before and after in that sense, apart from you can't see them, that the location has moved. But but human wise, what is the distinction there? Yeah, that's right. You know, Peter Singer and others at Oxford as well have gone down this route and They've asked basically that question that I was asking, what's the moral distinction between the unborn and the born? And they haven't been able to find one that's not arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And and the best they've come up with is the idea of consciousness. But if we're talking about consciousness, that comes at least months after birth. And so then you wind up in a situation where you try to find a non-arbitrary cutoff point between value and a lack of value. And if you don't put that at the point of conception, really the only place to put it is well after birth. And then you're talking not about abortion, but you're talking about infanticide. Yeah. It's also an interesting question. When you, when you think about the the issue of dependence, you know the idea the child is dependent on the mother, and therefore, um, you know, because they're within the mother's body, um, the mother has autonomy or rights over her body. And I, you know, I understand that the desire for that. I understand why people, you know, may think that way. But, but you know, it, 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 except for the cases which are extremely tragic of of rape, um, which I understand is a very complex and very painful question when it comes to abortion and rape. But in the majority of cases. Um, it's not the case that people who are having abortions are doing so because they have been raped. Typically, it has been a consensual act. And so therefore, yes, there is a dependence of um, the child on the mother, but it's not as if that dependence came out of nowhere. It came out of a decision that was made. And therefore, there's a responsibility that comes with that dependence. You know, I know we live in an era where you, know, you can be on the pill, that you know, be on birth control, but there's still a sense in which you, you understand when you have sex with somebody that one of the possible consequences of that could be having a child just as um, you know if I um, pick up a shotgun and you know I've never shot anything in my life so odds are even if I'm not intending to I might accidentally shoot somebody and that isn't my aim Um, I'm not trying to but nevertheless regardless of my intentions if that's what I do I bear responsibility 
for the consequences of that and the effects it has on the life of another person. And so I think this idea that um, just because someone is dependent on you, somehow that 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 means that um, that you don't bear any responsibility that might have consequences for the way you ought to behave from there on. I find that a very problematic sort of reasoning. Yeah, it's an interesting example. And if that were the case where even if it was accidental, right, you didn't intend it, but you hurt someone, precisely what you would be responsible for would be for their well-being and their health and their ongoing care. And in every case... When conception takes place, we need to ask that question of what what is the value of what comes to be, even in those early stages? You know, earlier I said that we often assume the value of human life, rightfully so. Is there anything which would disqualify the fetus, the unborn baby, from that value? But there's a there's another way to ask this question too, to sort of flip it around and to ask the question. What grounds the value of human life generally? And then to ask the question, does the unborn baby have that thing? Well, what is it that grounds human value? This is something I've mentioned before, but we generally take it to be the case that we as human beings are equally valuable. Michael, Joe, myself, right? The, the value there is equal, right? It would be wrong to, to try to rank us or anyone else relative to our value. But if that's the case, there has to be something that's equally true of every one of us. And, you know, Michael, Joe, and me, we're quite different. There's lots of things that are different. We, we look different. If you, if you took God out of the picture, it'd be very hard to find something that was equally true of all of us, right? We're, we're different in so many respects, but there's one thing about us which is exactly the same and equally true of each of us and everyone else, and that is the love of God for us, and in particular, the fact that we're created in the image of God. I think if you take God out of the picture, it is very hard to find something which is equally true and unchangeable about every person, which can ground the human value that we all agree about. And so what is that thing? It's the love of God for every person. It's the image of God in every person. And so then that is our question about the unborn baby. Does the unborn also have the image of God, also have the love of God. And scripture explains to us that they do, that God's love, God's plans, God's purposes, God's intimate awareness, uh, and even knitting together of the unborn happens well before birth. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, that picture of intimacy. The beginning of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is called and the word of, word of the Lord came to him and says, before I formed you in the womb, even before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You were born before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so if that is the love of God and the image of God, what gives us value as human beings and allows us to be totally inclusive of that value to every single person, regardless of how we might differ in terms of intelligence and in terms of our uh, physicality and in terms of our usefulness for society, all of these natural attributes. But if there is this supernatural attribute of the love of God and the image of God, which is common to all, then we ask the question, is that also common to the unborn? And biblically, the answer is yes, because God's commitment to, his purposes to, his plans for, his love of, and his image is in those beings, those babies, those persons, even before they're born, they can be set apart. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the 
one of the very powerful things about being made in the image of God is the belief that unlike a sort of predetermined naturalist perspective, we actually have some form of, of free will and some form of choice. And so then it comes to this question of the mother's choice and, you know, and, and how do you weigh that? Um, but of course, in every other area of life, we recognize that, that there are limitations, limitations should be put on our choices if they're going to harm somebody else and not just harm, but actually, you know, if, if we're believing a child is made in the image of God is fully a human being being, then why would autonomy have greater importance or priority than the life of another? And it's it's very interesting language to me. Um, because there's so much to celebrate about being female. There are so many things that um, that are wonderful about women's contribution to the world, their purpose. And, and I get very excited just thinking about those things. But it kind of breaks my heart that it has become like the central issue and the rallying cry of, of feminism, almost as if to celebrate being a woman, what that means is to celebrate my body, my rights. That has become the ground upon which everything um, stands. And I just think, oh, like of all the things that are fantastic about women, you make that the very thing. It's just so, to me, it's just so fundamentally selfish. It's like my body, my rights. And and the language there is so interesting because of course it's it's there are two bodies in this question, right? It's not just my body um, and my rights. There's also the body of a human person involved. And so why, why as women do we want to make the thing we celebrate ourselves about ourselves, the exercising of our autonomy over the valuing of another life. And and it's so ironic to me because, you know, women have felt oppressed for so long and yet we're using, um, you know, this new freedom to oppress someone even more vulnerable than us. I mean, I really, I really, really struggle with that, particularly because we're talking about somebody, you know, consent is such an important word in our culture. We're talking about a human being who doesn't even have the ability to express consent in this situation. So shouldn't we be protecting them even more because they cannot protect themselves? And and I think that's especially important when you think about, you know, what does it mean to celebrate? If you want to be a feminist and celebrate women, what about protecting the most vulnerable females of all? (laughs) who are unborn females. You know, what are we saying about the valuing of women? And that has big implications when you look at global statistics about abortion, um, because one of the huge issues that have come out of abortion has been that the shocking um, rate of gender side um, across the world. So, for example, if you look at um, China as one example, you know, the typical ratio between male and female, um, if things are just left in natural devices, is 100 to 103. In China, it's 100 girls to 119 boys is the ratio. And so what when you look at the statistics, there, there are basically 100 million women wh- there are basically 100 million women missing from the world population today, not just in China, but across the world because of this practice of um, selective abortion and killing um, females in the womb. And I just think if we're part of a culture that whether or not our culture endorses, um, you know, a sex selection when it comes to abortion, if you're endorsing a culture of abortion, you, you're you're part of, of propagating um, a culture where it's, it's encouraged and enabled. And therefore, I think we're part of this problem of gendercide as well. Wow, it's powerful. As you were speaking, Joe, I was I was just um, imagining the cross in my mind and just that that line of my body, my rights, and just thinking of how that was contrasted by Jesus. My body, your life, not my body, my rights. But here was someone who said, my body, and, and yes, the burden that I bear is as, as great as it could possibly be, um, but not for my rights, but for your life. And I think there's just something very sad about it because... You know, one of the things that um, 
I mean, women do lots of things brilliantly, but one of the things women can uniquely do that actually men can't and that we can really celebrate is we have the ability to carry a child and give birth. And and in many ways, you know, when you look at history and tradition, that has been a kind of power and a, and a, a gift that has been celebrated in women to have that life-giving ability. And I mean, hear me rightly, I'm not saying that like, whether you you um, whether you have a child or can have a child is where a woman's worth comes from. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are all sorts of ways in which women are, are valuable and important. And I wouldn't think that for a second. But I do think this is one thing that we can uniquely do. And so the fact that we're taking that very life-giving ability and turning it into a sort of celebration of our, our ability to, to cause death rather than life, to me, strikes at the very heart of, of something essentially female. And so I think it's very ironic that that feminism has kind of built itself around that that issue. And, and somehow it's become... Feminism has moved in a direction where um, we're more interested in celebrating our power to bring about death than to bring about life. And I find that um, really warped and, and really sad, actually. You know, to my mind, far from pro-life being anti-women, I actually think to be uh, pro-women is to be pro-life in that sense, you know, in, in numerous different ways. And, and of course, um, when we talk about pro-life, I also want to say, of course, as Christians, we understand it's a far bigger issue than just the unborn. As Christians, we, we want to care for people from the womb to the tomb, you know, all the way through. We're pro-life all the way. And so part of what it means to be pro-life is to care for for women who um, may be in desperate circumstances and are struggling to know how how am I going to function? How am I going to live? I, I don't even know how I can support having another child. And I I really feel deep empathy. and uh, Sorry, empathy or sympathy? Sympathy. I really feel deep sympathy for those in that situation. You know, the more um, we, we've been learning what it means to parent, the more um, respect and um, concern I feel for single mothers because I don't know how I would do it by myself. And so I think as Christians, we do, you know, we can't just care about the unborn. We also need, and I love that we do, that there are so many programs to help support women um, who are struggling. And the Bible speaks a lot about that, about having concern for the least of these, having concern for the widow and the orphan, for those who are not in a position to look after themselves. So of course, when we advocate for, for pro-life, we, we also have deep concern for those whom, whom we... Um, for those who are finding themselves in a very difficult situation, um, perhaps because they choose to keep a child or they're carrying a child and they don't know how they're going to cope. So please hear us saying, um, you know, that that this is a bigger issue and, and it's one that actually we need to not just espouse um, slogans about and get angry about when it comes to the unborn, but also to live out that radical love in the way that we treat um, women and children and anyone who's struggling in this area. Well, guys, unfortunately, we are out of time. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, we've just scratched the surface, uh, but on a question that needs to be asked and needs to be considered, needs to be considered urgently, and we hope uh, that this has at least begun some conversations for you with friends, with those you agree with, and with those you disagree with. Have those conversations. Try to see things from each other's perspective. Uh, keep love as the umbrella over those conversations and trust that through that we can come to a place of truth as well. My worry is that if we treat people from the beginning of life as if they are potentially unworthy of life, then that possibility, the possibility of being unworthy of life will haunt people for the rest of their lives. And I think that is what we are largely seeing in society. 
drastic rises, anxiety, depression, loneliness, anger, suicide. We are genuinely in a mental health crisis, and I don't think these things are unrelated. If we treat people as if they are potentially a burden from the start, then we can't be surprised when we continue to live with that fear throughout the rest of our lives. How sharply contrasted that is with a God for whom we were spiritually unborn. From God's perspective, we are the unborn. We were the unborn. That's why we had to be born again. But polar opposite to seeing us as a burden unworthy of life when we were unborn. There was no burden that Jesus was not willing to carry so that we could be born and so that we could have newness of life and the fullness of life. Let's live with that as our goal. Amen. Vince, Joe, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you all for listening and we will catch you guys next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.